and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means on Sunday, I had no football to watch. I did watch some sports, caught up with the NBA All-Star Game, more the halftime celebration with all the top or as many of the top 75 players of all time greats that could be uh, in Cleveland that were there watching that was fun seeing Michael Jordan be the last guy introduced in Cleveland the city LeBron James brought a title to thought that was fun in any event that was some fun but no NFL but have no fear we've got plenty to discuss here on the podcast our uh, the Athletics NFL senior writer Lindsey Jones uh, joined me to discuss a bunch of things, including she was at the Super Bowl, uh, lessons that teams around the league may take from the Rams title and the Bengals journey to the Super Bowl. We talked plenty about the quarterback market, what she heard out in L.A. with the whole league assembled, and of course the latest on Dan Snyder and the investigation into um, Washington, the NFL's involvement, Congress, and so on. After Lindsay and I talked, I believe it was after, uh, we talked on Friday, uh, came news that the NFL would um, formally uh, put forth the investigation into the recent allegations made against Dan Snyder. Meanwhile, Dan Snyder's side said they will drop their attempt at an investigation, which obviously never made any sense from the beginning because, you know, how do you investigate allegations into yourself? Anyway, a fun chat with Lindsay Jones. And then... For all my Wizards people out there, I got a hold of my guy Fred Katz, of course, our longtime Wizards beat writer who is now covering the Knicks. And Fred and I, we, we were going to talk for about a half an hour, catching up on all things Wizards. And of course, we went for about an hour and 45 minutes, give or take. Uh, so what I did was I broke the conversation up into two parts. I believe this part, we talked on Friday, this part was more, was a lot about what do we make of this team now? With all the different pieces, the Chris Stops Porzingis edition, uh, trading away Spencer Dinwiddie, what was going on at this locker room. And of course, we also touch on Bradley Beal's future with this team. So a lot we got to get into just in part one. I'll play part two later this week, uh, which of course means if you want to make sure you don't miss it or miss anything else coming up on the podcast, and I think I, I hope Fingers crossed that I've got a good guest for you guys this week as well. Another good guest on top of these guests. Um, make sure you subscribe on iTunes or anywhere else you do your podcasting, including on the Athletic app. And if you uh, uh, have, have that moment to leave a rating and review, I greatly appreciate those who do on iTunes. It definitely helps a lot. I promise you that. Uh, meanwhile, over on the Athletic, on Friday, I dropped the mailbag with a bunch of different topics. Uh all the, you know, a lot of quarterback, a lot of ownership, but a bunch of other topics as well. Those questions I didn't get to, I will address later this week on the podcast. And on Monday morning, there will be a, a 1.0 mock draft, just commanders. Uh, but I do have the first uh, 10 picks as well in there. So you can check that out uh, on Monday if you subscribe to The Athletic. And by the way, I believe there is a special right now. I want to say it's $1 a month for the first six months. If you subscribe, I don't know what the deadline is, but if you subscribe now, click on one of my articles, you should be able to get it. 
Um, all right, I want to get into uh, the conversation with Lindsay uh, and Fred, but I will just quickly say this. It's that time of the year in particular. We Every year it happens during the NFL offseason where, you know, as somebody just described it to me as, it's lion season out there. And by that I mean there's a combination of there's the there's the false rumors that, you know, teams or agents or others will put out. Think like the Kyle Shanahan is going to draft Mac Jones stuff from last year, which, you know, I don't know where all that came from, but clearly that did not, that did not happen. But more specifically, the random people who think they have sources or claim sources and thus claim reports who then put out something that leads to wild speculation here. And people like myself get asked questions about this. Um, in addition, there's also the lack of reading comprehension. This happened to me the other day with my mailbag where I had a Chase Young story and, or sorry, let me rephrase that. I had a Chase Young comment because somebody asked me if I thought Chase Young might get traded uh, or is it conceivable? And I, my, my response started with, quote, I think <laughs> no sourcing, no reporting. I didn't claim I heard anything. I think. And while I appreciate the fact that people out there think that my opinion warrants paying attention to, I get that to a degree, meaning I write for The Athletic, I cover this team, that person, whoever is in that seat, might know a thing or two, and that's cool. But there's a difference between my opinion and my reporting something. No reporting, yet it got misinterpreted all over the place in that way, leading to all kinds of hilarity including, I think I saw a Detroit Lions blog pondered, could the Lions trade Jared Goff? And I think the 32nd pick in the draft, plus some other stuff for Chase Young. I mean, (laughs) it would be hilarious if it wasn't just so annoying and sad. But anyway, all I can say to you out there is be cognizant of your sources. If it's coming from the national people, your Schefters and Rappaports, you know, you could probably assume there's something to that. It may not be the truth in a this may be more of that Kyle Shanahan thing I just mentioned where somebody from a team is putting information out there and so on but it's a very different thing when random people are just throwing wild stuff at the wall when they're claiming sources in theory anybody can get a source okay I've had random people in random situations tell me something that you would never peg to be a source that turned out to be hey they actually do have an inkling of what's happening, and you can go from there. But you've got to, even if you get that, you have to vet it out plenty. So all I can say is, on the local side, there are the people that cover the team on the regular basis, and then there are not. You probably know who they are, uh, but just, you know, as a quick rundown, myself, uh, our, our, our friend Michael Phillips with the Richmond Times-Dispatch, Matt Paris, Washington Times, those guys are on the here all the time. The Washington Post has two reporters, Nikki Jabvala and Sam Fortier. Of course, John Kime with ESPN. Uh, Pete Haley over at NBC Sports Washington. Uh, J.P. Finley, more radio than writing these days, but obviously he'll have some information at times. Like, those are the people who are basically in the room on the regular. Steve Wino from the Associated Press as well, uh, when he's not in China covering the Olympics. I'm not saying that other people can't break news locally or not. I'm just saying those are the people on the writing side who are in the room pretty much at all times. Beyond that, I don't know what to tell you. Anybody could have something, 
but you just have to trust your own. You got to really start to pay attention here and have a good feel for what you're buying to. If, if, if you've never heard of this person or it's not somebody on this beat and it's not a national reporter you're familiar with, I would just tread lightly before you start spreading it around or whatnot. Okay. That's all I can say. That said, it's going to be another wild ride, obviously based on how this off season has already started and we'll see where this goes for sure. But I know where we're going now. We're going to my conversation with Lindsey Jones, uh, senior NFL writer for The Athletic, then my conversation with Fred Katz. If you want to follow Lindsey on Twitter, and I encourage you to do that, she is by Lindsey H. Jones, and Fred, it's at Fred Katz, K-A-T-Z. All right, let's do this. A fun one, I promise you. Here we go on the Standard Groom Only Podcast. All right, as promised, joining me here on the podcast to talk about the wacky NFL season that just concluded, the quarterback search, and always there's always Washington Commanders nonsense to get into. Here she is, our senior NFL writer, the great Lindsey Jones. You, have you recovered from your Super Bowl journey yet? You were actually there for the big fun. Um, barely. Barely is the answer. We're recording this, what, Thursday afternoon? Um I don't know if I've gotten a full night's sleep yet, but I'm I'm getting there. I'm still kind of in very much Super Bowl mode of what exactly happened in the game and last week and the parties after the game. Um, luckily, you know, kind of was was fortunate enough to be able to like observe some of the celebrations. Stayed up way, way, way past my bedtime. <laughs> still catching up now, but uh, yeah, it was a, it was a good week in LA. It felt kind of normal, which was terrifying to, to some extent as somebody who I, I feel like I've been very COVID conscious um, over the last couple of years to kind of be back in like a full press box and right. full shuttle buses and restaurants. And I will say the experience in California was markedly different <laughs> than Tampa Bay last year based on like local regulations and those sorts of things. But sure. um, so it was, there, you know, there were times where I was extremely anxious. <laughs> and then there were times that I was like, this is great. We're, we're getting some normalcy back. So um, it was it was a good week. Um, a lot of talk about uh, the local football team, the local football team, which I cannot, I, Commanders is not, is like not a vo- in my vocabulary yet. I like have a hard, it catches my ear when somebody says it and I have a hard time spitting it out. So advanced apologies if I say Washington football team multiple times over yeah. the next 45 minutes or whatever, because to be frank, I think they should have just kept Washington football team. It really grew on me over the last two years. I think I think I've done about four or five or so six podcasts since they changed the name, and I'm not lying. Every, I think almost every single episode when I do my introduction, welcome to the thing. I cover the what, and then I say who I am and what I do. I have to restart it almost every time because I just instinctively yeah. say the football team, and I have to switch it up. Um, the good thing is the football team, because of its <laughs> so generic thing, you can almost say it, and you're still referring. Yeah, it is the football. It is a football team. So you're not, we're not wrong. It's just maybe not well, the football team. And I had spent years where I hadn't used the previous name um, in, hopefully not in language, but very, very limited in my writing, you know, in things where we were like, you know, listing all 32 power rankings and stuff. And you had to put the team in mascot. I think it would probably be in there. But if I'd been writing, you know, if I was covering an NFC East game, I'd write about mm-hmm. Washington versus the Cowboys. So it's not unfamiliar for me to say Washington, and I probably will just say Washington. Yeah. Washington a lot. I'm going to miss WFT, though. 
Well, it definitely made it easier to abbreviate for tweets uh, and, and and other things. You could just shorten that. Commanders is is too long and clunky, and there's a whole other there's a whole lot of other issues with commanders. But that's that's a whole other uh, that's a whole other topic. Um, all right, so so let's. I really I really just want to deviate. Just ask you about the parties you saw and what what sure. we see. I mean, well, okay. <laughs> what, who, what, I, I I you know what 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 happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah. In LA, but so there's that. But like. I don't, I've never I've never been to a Super Bowl like what's the most interesting scene like who was there like what'd you see sure well I so I didn't go to very many of the like parties during the week um I am just like too old and lame to be able to like stay out stay up late and like, drink during the week um I did go to the media party the media party was fantastic it was at Universal Studios um so like standing around in like a cocktail dress drinking drinks that are going to make me feel bad the next day that's not really like my scene anymore but riding roller coasters and like eating junk food sign me up like I was I was all about that so that was really that was a great media party as far as like media parties go um but then Sunday night after the game um Jordan Rodrigue our Rams beat writer and I um and a couple other of our colleagues um were able to get kind of passes to go to the Rams party to like gather reporting and color sorry my dog's trying my husband's trying to get the dogs to go for a walk all, right all good I enjoyed watching <laughs> I enjoyed watching him do the 180 on zoom there as, as he realized he was on camera there for a second um so you know it was you know it was kind of these like cool moments of like Johnny Hecker being brought up stage where they there's a DJ kind of like a club song that they play for all like the special teams moments at SoFi. And so they were playing that song and, you know, Johnny Hecker was up on stage and he did the gritty, um, which, because of course he did, it's the 2021 NFL system for the rest of the league. I think there's a lot of teams, probably 30 of them that are looking at both the Rams and the Bengals and saying, how did they get there? And what can we do to potentially follow that blueprint? And that's what I wanted to, to to start the broader conversation with because it's a copycat league. We always see whatever the thing, whether it's talking about a scheme or certain type of uh, personnel choices, whatever it may be that, or maybe, you know, just, Hey, we need to have that kind of player on our team, whatever it may be that teams will then try to emulate. And, and whether it's from the Rams winning the Bengals surprise appearance, or just something broader from the NFL playoffs that, that, that you observed, what do you think is going to be the ultimate takeaway for other teams after uh, these playoffs? Yeah, well, I mean, I think when you look at both of the two, the, the Super Bowl teams, they kind of got there in very different ways. But the big lesson, right, is that you have to have the quarterback. Yeah. And there is literally, there's very few ways around having the quarterback. The Rams got to the Super Bowl with a guy that they had kind of, who wasn't the guy. Right. I mean, they got to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff and realized pretty quickly that they had a ceiling there and it was, you know, they hit that ceiling. You know, he had some great moments as a Ram, but he limited what Sean McVay was able to do as a play caller. Um, He wasn't necessarily his best in some of those those big moments um, when you needed a big fourth quarter. Um, And they went ahead and they made like the the big offseason move last year to go ahead and get Matthew Stafford. They were a surprise team in that. You know, the fact that they already already had paid Jared Goff made them a surprise team, I think, to get into that market. Yeah. Um, but it just really shows like how important it is to get that quarterback. The Bengals situation is not quite as replicable, right? I mean, how many teams end up with the number one overall pick and they draft a quarterback 
you know, even one that you think is going to be a generational talent and it just doesn't work. Like the guy is not good enough or your plan around him isn't good enough. Um, and it, you, you can't turn it into a Super Bowl appearance in two years, but they, to their credit, I guess they were bad enough in the right year and the Dolphins didn't tank bad enough, I guess, whatever to end up with that number one overall pick. We can talk more about the Dolphins tanking plan at a, right. on a, on a separate legal podcast. Um, but, but that, but by the way, you are right. I always point this to the NBA, the year that the Washington Wizards uh, got the number one pick in more recent times, they, they got John Wall, who was a consensus guy and it was a totally reasonably fine pick. And John Wall was a multi-time all-star and all that. But in other years, you get LeBron James and yeah. the, the gap between or, you know, uh, other players who are just a, a, a true franchise altering player as opposed yeah, to being a the, very good player. It's the Colts, you know, the, the one year that Peyton Manning can't play and the Colts end up, you know, just winning a couple games and getting the number one overall pick when number one overall pick, excuse me, when Andrew Luck is available, when, you know, if it had been what one year different or two year different, you know, you'd end up with Eric Fisher as the number one overall pick the year that the Chiefs were drafting. Um, or it's like, the it's even kind of this draft class, right? The, right? The previous two years, you had Joe Burrow, you had Trevor Lawrence, and now the first quarterback may not be picked until 11. Yeah, I mean, we're, my editor um, oversees our Lions coverage, and we spent a lot of time talking about that. Like, wouldn't this be the most Lions thing ever, where you end up with the number one overall pick in a year where there's not a single quarterback? who's worthy to be that number one overall pick. Somebody might artificially get pushed up and could wind up in that spot two months from now. You know, who knows? That's just kind of tends to be what happens in these situations. But yeah, so they, you know, for, for the Bengals, look, they, they made the right pick when they had the number one selection. They didn't mess it up. And Joe Burrow, I think, has just been better than any of us could even. I mean, look, he was, he was great. What he did at LSU you know, I think we should have believed that he was going to be a great NFL quarterback, but a lot of the things that have made him really special and truly elite during this postseason run, that's not stuff that you can really evaluate during the draft process. You know, the way that he responds to taking hits, the way that he survived being sacked more and hit more than any other quarterback in postseason history. Um, a lot of that stuff is just truly on him. And then some of it is luck that they made it through that run and this entire season without him getting seriously hurt. And it like hurt my soul to hear Zach Taylor and his kind of wrap up press conference this week saying like, well, cause look, they've taken a lot of criticism for their offensive line play and they deserve every single bit of it. But to hear Zach Taylor's like, well, they were good enough to get us to a Super Bowl. Yeah, and you got lucky that your quarterback didn't get killed. I mean, to watch his knee crumple in the second half of that game and watch him kind of get up under that from that underneath this pile and hop off, like my stomach dropped. Cause it's like, you can't do this to him again. You cannot, this, that part of this is not sustainable. So, um, you know, but I guess if you're these other teams looking around, I think there's a lot of teams that were probably bad this year, bad last year that can look at the Bengals and say, see, it can be done. There's no excuse for continuing to miss the playoffs year after year after year. Um, I don't know how replicable it is. I mean, it's really, it's really hard. I don't know how replicable, rep excuse me, it's going to be for the Bengals. Like, you, they, I don't think the Bengals should just assume they're going to be back there next year. The AFC is going to continue to be this gauntlet, uh, this quarterback after quarterback after quarterback, and knowing you're going to have to go through Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and Justin Herbert and 
to Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> who knows next year to get right. there. Um, it's going to be really, really hard. Um, but I think it has given a lot of kind of the, the mid to bottom tier teams hope that if a few things break right, and if you get the right quarterback, that you too can make um, make a jump a lot more quickly than anybody expected you to. Right. You didn't even mention like the Jags and the Jets who took quarterbacks with the first two picks in the draft last year. They got to be looking at the Bengals going, I mean, look, they may be, especially Jacksonville, maybe miles away, but hey, if, if we if we do what we can to develop that quarterback, hey, why why not um, why not us? So so to that point, let's just stay with the quarterback. So to that point, uh, and I agree with you. I think the number one takeaway for me from these playoffs, and it really really cemented watching that Buffalo Kansas City game, is we always know quarterbacks are important. I've talked about this a lot, but like the gap now between having one and not is as large as I can ever recall because teams. The, the more we the more the, the 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 rules are geared towards offenses and the more that we get away from like running the running game truly being the difference maker i, I know the 49ers kind of got all the way to the nfc championship game led by the ground attack but still it's not really the the way it is if you don't have one of those guys you can't you cannot hide it and have any real shot at a run which is why we're all wondering you know Sure. And I mean, and even the Niners who did that, they made it to the NFC championship game and, you know, one drive away from making the Super Bowl, and they're still going to most likely trade their quarterback away because they made that massive move last year to go out and get the guy, the guy that's going to open up a lot more of their offense and provide, provide for Kyle Shanahan, things that Jimmy Garoppolo was never able to do. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's exactly right. And, you know, year after year, teams just continue to try to talk themselves into this other formula, this winning formula that just doesn't really work in the modern NFL right now. That oh, if Ron our defense is good tried, at, he really tried to sell it when he, when they didn't oh, get they, Stafford. It was like, he was like, Oh, you can build around it and then fill in the quarterback later. I'm like, okay, good luck. <laughs> yeah. That, that worked in Tampa Bay when the quarterback you get later is Tom freaking Brady. Right. Cool. Yeah. That, that worked. Right. Um, Ron Rivera was saying all the same things and trying to sell it publicly just like they were doing in Denver, just like they were doing in Carolina, um, and are going another a number of those places are going to be doing it again this year. And like, you can kind of win that way, right? I mean, you can be like a competitive team. You can potentially compete for a wild card spot. Um, but when you look at the teams that were serious postseason contenders, basically outside of the Niners, who had a truly elite defense and a quarterback who is just good enough to win. I mean, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is better than or considerably better than Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold and Taylor Heineke and a lot of these other guys who were kind of being trod out there by teams who thought they'd be contenders, but really weren't really weren't because the quarterback position was holding them back. Um, you know, it just is, it's just really clear that as much as you want to think that you can build teams multiple ways, if you don't have a quarterback who is ultimately going to be, you know, a top 10 guy, it's going to be really, really hard to win consistently. Um, you might be able to make one good run. You might be able to sneak in as a wild card. But if you're going to be a team that's that's there every single year, like the Chiefs are going to be, like the Bills are going to be, like I think the Rams are going to be now, like the like the, the Seahawks were outside of this season because there were a lot of things that were going wrong in Seattle. Um, it, it's just not going to happen until you have that guy. And unfortunately, that guy is really hard to find, right? Yeah, no, and that's the thing. Like when Rivera would make the point of saying, "Yeah, look at some of these quarterbacks that have made a Super Bowl." He points to Jared Goff. He points to a Nick Foles. I'm like, "Yeah, but that was like everything went right for one year, and it's not a sustainable model typically." And that's why 
those two, you know, Nick Foles was gone. Jared Goff, um, they moved on from him and all, and the, the Niners moving on from Garoppolo. And even locally, the Chiefs moved on from Alex Smith, who was a totally fine quarterback because they're like, we got to do, we got to get to another, another level. So all that said, look, nothing may happen at the higher end of this quarterback spectrum, despite all the talk, but it does feel like, or, I'm at, or I guess I should ask, does it feel like we're all sort of stuck until Aaron Rodgers in particular yes. <laughs> says, what's he doing? Cause even if a team wants to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, You'd be crazy to trade for Garoppolo, then find out three days later that Aaron Rodgers is available. So are we all, do you think, just stuck until Rodgers? I'm saying him more than Wilson, because Rodgers has kind of said yeah. he will tell the world something. Um, yeah, I mean, because he's he's the big fish here, right? I mean, he's going, he has to be this first domino to fall, because if he's going to be available, he's he will be the guy that all of the team should be chasing first. If, if he and the Packers come to the decision that it's time for them to split up, that he wants a trade that they're willing to trade him. They've set some sort of parameters for what that would look like. He's the guy that everybody should be going after first. Um, I got a little excited, terrified. I'm not sure exactly what the right word is, is when, you know, all of a sudden you see that he's trending yesterday on Twitter and it's like, Oh God, the moment is this moment is here. I was on other calls and stuff. And then you see that it was just him breaking up with his fiance, which opens up a whole other layer of like, okay, well now is he going to be, having different considerations uh will he not have somebody else influencing his decisions um, was somebody previously wanting him to leave green bay and now that person is no longer part of his future and decision making plans i'd, I'd I don't like know. to believe i'd like to believe she was pushing for the broncos and he was like yeah i don't know i, I might stay yeah. in green bay and she's like oh i was duped i'm out i mean i <laughs> look i i don't want to get too far into like the conspiracy theories or but i i, I imagine she was pushing for like alternative covid therapies based on like that she like makes her own deodorant and stuff like probably, you know, probably was pushing for alternative COVID. Uh, I, I don't do immunization you, plans or whatever that are outside of modern science. Are you a, are you a Howard Stern listener? I'm not. So, so like a, a, a year or two ago, she, be, she got on their radar and they went into big deep dive for several days over all of her, what you just talked about. She's very earthy and just like all the way she was like, lives her life in a very different you know outside the box way and so when you just said that it absolutely rings true to me that like i don't know what she what what things she might have been suggesting but perhaps there were some uh yeah there was some interesting views so i know you know look i live in denver the aaron Rodgers stuff has been out there about you know kind of linking him to the broncos since the draft of last year it was kind of the one thing that was getting Broncos fans like through their day-to-day last off season. And then as this season turned and they were no longer relevant in the AFC conversation, it quickly flipped back to focusing on Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, if he chooses to stay in Green Bay, um, there will be a lot of people in the city that are um, devastated, uh, which (laughs) sports radio is going to, you know, explode. Um, I still think like if I were going to bet on this and I, I won't, but if I were going to bet on this, I would probably bet the, the odds should be in, on him staying in Green Bay. I think that's kind of where this is pointing. Yes, it will be, you know, financially challenging for the Packers. They've got a lot of um, stuff that they're going to have to work through to get him under contract. And then a lot of other guys are going to have to deal with, Devontae Adams, most importantly. Um, but it's really hard to ascribe any sort of typical norms to Aaron Rodgers. Um, and what you know trying to understand what he's thinking or what he wants and what he believes about his legacy and um you know how he is viewed in the league and how he's respected and 
Um, does he want the challenge of playing in the AFC? Does he want to be able to do what Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford did and switch teams and immediately win a Super Bowl? Um, or does he want to stay in Green Bay? Is it that important to him to like finish what he started with the Packers and yeah. finally get back to another Super Bowl with the Packers? You know, I, I don't know, and it's hard for anybody. And I think if you hear anybody saying they know what Aaron Rodgers is thinking or feeling, I think you should take that, uh, you know, very much consider the source because I don't know if any of us could accurately say we know. And if, if we've learned anything over the last year is that it's kind of a, being inside Aaron Rodgers' head seems like a fairly terrifying place to be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I will just say, and obviously you're right, I, to, to, to try to guess what he's going to think is impossible. But I will just say in general, for all these types of players at the level that he and Tom Brady and maybe even Russell Wilson are at, the money is no longer relevant. They've made it all. Whatever they do, they're going to make a ton. What is important is legacy. That is what matters. Because like in the case of Wilson and Rodgers, they both have one ring. The, a lot of guys have one ring. Matthew Stafford has one ring as a starting quarterback. So does Mark Rippon and Jeff Hostetler, right? You need to get multiples to get to the other tier. Forget catching Brady, but like just to get to the, 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 the other level and that to me is what the Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning level. Right. Right. And that to me is what ultimately is, is whatever the driving force is. The question then is where do you want to go? And as you sort of pointed out before, why on earth would you go to the AFC when you have, it's a much more challenging road, especially if Tom Brady stays retired and does not come back to play for Tampa Bay or San Francisco, the NFC is wide, wide open and you were the one yeah. seed. So it, 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 the it, best it, quarterback it right sense. now in the NFC um, based on what we saw in 2021, it's probably Matthew Stafford, right? I mean, if Rogers leaves, yeah. If Rogers, yeah. So if he's surveying the rest of that landscape and yeah. saying, okay, who else, who else is out here? Um, you know, I, I never want to like discount Russell Wilson or whatever, but like, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is afraid of competing against Matthew Stafford. <laughs> Right. To try to win a to try to win a title. I mean, maybe he should be concerned about the rest of his team and special teams and all those sorts of things. Right. And the reasons that he didn't he ultimately didn't get a chance to play in the Super Bowl this season. Um, but yeah, I mean that that's where it gets a little dangerous of like, I mean, I would say, well, why would I want to go? I, I wouldn't want to compete against against those guys. Maybe Rogers is like, hell yeah give me Patrick Mahomes twice a year, give me Justin Herbert twice a year. Like if I can come out of the AFC, if I can lead the Broncos to a Super Bowl, imagine my legacy, like imagine what this will do. You know, maybe, sure. maybe that's something that he was, he is thinking. Um, and yeah, and when it comes to money, I think it's not so much about like the dollar amount. It's about like, what does the dollar amount represent about how I'm viewed and respected and wanting to be like paid accurately amongst your peers. And, you know, what am I making compared to, Dak Prescott and stuff. It's not so much as like, do you can do you, I can I go buy another Rolls Royce or whatever? I, I don't know if you've seen the movie Moneyball or when's the last time you saw it. It's it's a movie. It's been a that, while, yeah, it's been, it's a movie that I I I have on the background frequently. And there's the end of the movie where he's being wooed. Uh, the Brad Pitt Billy Bean character is being wooed by the Red Sox, which is obviously a major upgrade over the Oakland A's on all fronts. And he says he's he doesn't want he made one choice in his life based on money when he chose to go from straight from high school to the pros and bombed out that he wouldn't do that again and and the jonah hill consigliere character is explaining to him you're not doing it if you do it you're not doing it for the money you're doing it for what the money says and what the money says is that you're worth it and that's ultimately kind of what you're saying yeah. it's like it, the, the, yeah, whatever 35 million 40 million whatever it's uh, yeah relative to everybody else i'm the man and so and and you go uh 
and you go from there. Um, but to get back to what you initially asked, he's going to be the first domino, right? I think we're all kind of waiting. Um, and then what is he waiting? Is he waiting to see if the Packers are going to franchise tag Devontae Adams? Is he going to wait through the first few days of the combine to see kind of what, where's the wind blowing? Um, clearly the Packers have started their leveraging process here by putting out, making sure that people know that they're going to be willing to pay Aaron Rodgers so that that very much that Sunday splash story, I believe it was Schefter who had it very much to me screamed. Um, we have done our part. And if Aaron Rodgers ends up being traded, it is not our fault. It is on him. Like we are not going to be the bad guys here that traded away Aaron Rodgers. Like they want to be seen as like, we tried to do everything possible and he decided to leave. Um, so it's, right now that kind of feels a lot of like posturing and stuff that's happening publicly when the real important stuff is happening is going to be happening behind the scenes quietly. So I think it's him. Um, and then it's kind of all the rest of them, right? It's then it's Jimmy Garoppolo, who is I think certainly attainable. It's Russell Wilson still feels like a little bit of a longer a longer shot. I mean, if, if I'm the Eagles, I'm going to call. If I'm the Broncos, I should call and see what what the what the Seahawks are asking and what um, what Russell Wilson would be where he'd be willing to go. Those sorts of things. Um, and then after that, I don't know. It's not a it's not a great no. There's not a ton of great options. Right, and I'll, and I'll mention like I mean, it just it it seems logical to me that Josh McDaniels didn't take the Raiders' job to then immediately trade. Derek Carr without yeah, having yeah. A, an opportunity without having an obvious path to get another quarterback Matt Ryan's cap hit with Atlanta is just so enormous mm-hmm. it doesn't seem logical that they're going to move on him and by the way Rodgers Wilson um Matt Ryan and even Kyler Murray they all play in the NFC so if they if you go by the rule that you don't trade that guy in your conference then Washington is doubly screwed because other than Derek Carr all sure, these yeah. potential quarterbacks are in the other are, are, are in your same uh, side, you are effectively our our uh, Cardinals uh, insider. Uh, I had been told, and I wrote this that um, there was like a somebody, a, 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 a one team's like decision maker said to me basically that there's a name or two out there that nobody's talking about, and so I wrote that in a in a story the other day and guessed some names, and I asked some people to guess. One of the names brought up was Kyler Murray and then a couple days later Chris Mortensen put out the tweet saying that there's a big yeah there's big issues there what 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 do you what do you sense of that because he really was terrible in the playoffs but again how do you find his replacement yeah I mean I, I, I the way that season ended in Arizona was really messy and I think there's a lot of finger pointing and trying to figure out what happened was it Cliff's fault was it Kyler's fault was it the organization's fault or Steve Kimes fault for not building this team in a better you know it, in a more well-rounded way that they'd be competitive late in the season. And, you know, ultimately it comes back to coach and quarterback. Um, there's some interesting dynamics there that Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray both are represented by the same agent. Um, so like, will they be aligned? They've also obviously been very closely aligned by the time, you know, the timing that they both came in together. Um, could there be factions going on? Um, you know, I think from like a personality standpoint, and it was pretty apparent last week when we're, you know, spending so much time around Joe Burrow, especially that like Kyler Murray just doesn't, he doesn't have that personality. Like he just does not have that same sort of kind of like gravitational pull that Joe Burrow does. Um, That's not to say that his, he's a bad leader. It's just, he has a different leadership style and that maybe it hasn't, when things are going wrong in Arizona, like they did over the last six weeks of the season, that maybe it just 
didn't um, resonate as well there. So it, it seems messy. It doesn't seem to me like a contract. I mean, look, he's eligible for a contract. He became eligible for a new contract, I think, before last season. Um, but he, you know, he's eligible for a new long-term contract. This feels bigger to me than just like a angling to get a long-term deal deal done. So yeah, may, you know, maybe they could be a team there, but then Cliff and Kyler are so closely aligned and would that be splitting or is that a sign that there could be, I think Cliff is in a position to get a new contract as well. So could there be a situation where after another season, if it hasn't dramatically improved that Arizona could be looking for a new coach and a new quarterback? That's possible. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Those those, those tweets from Chris Mortensen, they didn't come across like you mentioned before. How the Green Bay, the the Schefter report on what the Packers were thinking, it was subtle and mild. It wasn't a big deal, but it was sort of positioning themselves to say, "Hey, if something goes wrong, we did what we could." The 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 the, the stuff with the Cardinals and Kyler Murray seemed much more uh, flame throwing. There, there was a lot of you know, a lot of negatives there. It, it so, felt like a hit job, right? Yeah. But it it was it like it made me kind of like physically uncomfortable I was like, never... getting dressed getting ready to go to the Super Bowl and it was like ugh, like from a journalism standpoint and like Chris Mortensen is as well respected a plus like I don't try I don't uh, question his reporting at all but you always have that feeling of like why is this out there why like who is saying this right now that wants this out there on the record and just trying to figure out the motivations there because you know you never want to anonymously like put out a rip job on somebody like if somebody is going to say I think he's a bad leader or I think he's x y and z those are the type of things that like you need to be able to put your name on and it just it just felt like like this is going to get this is going to get real messy um and probably worse before it gets better in Arizona I mean the way that season ended was bad that Monday night football game was as embarrassing of a loss as any team had in the postseason and it came on the heels of you know losing to Detroit and kind of some ugly games over the last few weeks of the season. So um, it's going to be an uncomfortable couple months, I think, for the Cardinals. Yeah, it feels like it. And by the way, I, I didn't mention at the top, obviously, but like you, we've all, you've heard me discuss a hundred times that this draft class doesn't seem to be overly appealing. Yeah. So that's why we're not getting into that. I mean, any of these teams could obviously draft a quarterback in the first round and that will give you some hope if nothing else. And maybe you get, that's a way to find your guy, but we're talking about like the free agency comes first and a lot of teams want a veteran help. Um, so just lastly, yeah, but, I mean, this time last year, we were talking about like four or five guys who could come in and be day one starters. What we saw was that basically all of those guys struggled and those guys were considerably better than the group that we're looking at this year. So that's not to say that, you know, Kenny Pickett or one of the, you know, like Willis, any of these guys in this draft might not end up being great quarterbacks, but to look at this draft class and say, our 2022 starting quarterback, the guy that is going to take us on a Cincinnati Bengals style worst to first turn, I, it, that feels like a little far-fetched, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, for, for sure. Um, I do want to ask you before we, before we wrap up about what anybody was saying about this organization and Dan Snyder while you were at the Super Bowl, but just quickly, uh, what what is uh, giving everybody a shot to say what Washington should actually do at quarterback? You can uh, you can take all your draft picks from now till the end of time, and even throw in Montez Sweat to try to get Russell Wilson if he's available. You can do the Jimmy Garoppolo for a second round pick and have probably have to extend a guy who 
Some people think is good. Some people are questioned. You can go the Mitch Trubisky route. You can just punt it all for the draft. What, knowing where Washington yeah. is at on all these kinds of fronts, what, what, what would your, yeah. what's, your, what's your move? I mean, I think you have to do everything possible to explore getting one of the two really big fish that could be out there, Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson. Um, any of those other options, I think, are a consolation prize, and that's what you have to talk yourself into. Jimmy Garoppolo is probably the next the next thing there. And I could see Washington and Ron Rivera, defensive-minded guy, talk himself into Jimmy Garoppolo. This is a guy who's been to the playoffs over and over. He's played in a Super Bowl. He almost got them to a Super Bowl again this year when you have the right running game and the right defense. I could see them talking themselves into that. So you make those calls, you find out what it would take to get Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson. And if maybe those guys don't become available, maybe there's another team that makes a significantly better offer. But I think you have to at least explore making that move because missing out on that trade, as the as Washington realized last year with Matthew Stafford or Carolina or Denver other teams that were making calls on Matthew Stafford realized um, if you don't, if you don't get it, if, if you don't get that guy, the plan B plan C D E are not that great. So yeah. I think you have to, I mean, I think that's my best case scenario is you do what it takes to get the top of the top guy. Um, the hard part is that most likely it's not going to work out, right? I mean, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of other teams that are going to be making those calls and are going to be trying to get um, the very best guy available. And, you know, you might end up with best case, right? Jeremy Garoppolo, worst case, Trubisky or Carson Wentz, or I guess they're not going to get Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins for a buy trade is not going to be a, an option. Eh, probably I mean, for the Washington for the Washington football team have, the, have those bridges been mended I'm not sure I don't think it's I'll just say I don't think that's inconceivable Bruce Allen doesn't live here anymore fair and fair, desperation yeah. from Washington's end I, I don't think Ron Rivera gives a crap um so who knows um all right so 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 lastly uh, you are you know you, you you are amongst anybody with the athletic deal with um the NFL office and you were, I just sat at the Super Bowl and all these things kind of merge together in part because, well, it merges together because it's a Super Bowl, <laughs> but specifically for Washington, because, you know, last week was the, was another turn, or I say last week, this may run on Monday, but during the Super Bowl week, the, um, you know, it, more stories came out with regards to the investigation into Washington because Dan Snyder is going to have his own investigation into himself, which obviously Roger Goodell and Logic said that doesn't make any sense. So there's that. But then the NFL sent a letter to Congress saying, hey, the delay in documents, don't blame us. Congress came back and said, not our problem, your problem. You, it's your team. You got to deal with this. So on and so on. What, what I guess just what's your it felt like the first time that was a bit of a rift there between yeah. you know, the, the league and the team. So what was it? What's your sense of what were people talking about in terms of this whole uh, organization? Yeah, so it's getting messy. I feel like I keep using the word messy here. But yeah, there did seem to be a shift. And to me, the kind of this this understanding that the NFL kind of botched the first go around here that they didn't that the outcome of the Wilkinson investigation was handled improperly and that they believed that they could, um, as they so often do, um, complete an investigation and announce their resolution. And that is that. And the NFL will move on to its next scandal of the day. And 
they kind of were in process. I mean, there were new things that were happening in new scandals of the day, but ultimately everything is ending up leading back to Washington. The fact that Congress has not let this drop is really forcing the NFL into a reckoning about um, all the ways that they messed up the first time. Um, and the thing that I've always kind of come back to when I'm looking at the situation is when Roger Goodell said that they didn't release a written report and they requested an oral report because they were protecting the victims. That just always, like it didn't pass the smell test, right? Like it was always, who are you protecting here? And up until a few days ago, it was very clear that they were protecting both the league office and then the fellow owners were protecting Dan Snyder and protecting one of their own and the business interests of the league. Um, but at some point when you have all these outside forces, whether that's Congress or it's more brave women who are coming forward to tell their very personal individual stories with allegations directly against Daniel Snyder, that that seems to be shifting this into a way that the NFL and Roger Goodell can no longer kind of disengage from it and say that, you know, that they're going to protect the women or whatever here, when it's becoming very clear that um, the victims in the situation want um, transparency and they want justice. And I have a lot of questions. I, you know, I know I tried to ask one because it's those those press conferences are really, really difficult in that Roger Goodell is very skilled at saying a lot of words and not actually saying anything. He, a whole he, lot of he words. gave a tour de force of saying nothing. And that press conference was one of the more contentious Super Bowl press conferences that I can remember, probably dating back to the 2014 season with the kind of after the Ray Rice, all the personal conduct policy, domestic violence crisis they were going through, the most like pointed questions. And there were some, and it wasn't just pointed questions about Washington, it was obviously the diversity hiring, the Brian Flores lawsuit, the tanking allegations, all of those sorts of things. I mean, it was kind of rapid fire. So it was trying to figure out the best way to say, like to get some sort of solid news and answers there, but also to try to get a sense of like, where is this headed? And what, what do they believe about um, the future of ownership? Could, a, could an owner be severely disciplined to the point of potentially selling the team? And it's not just Washington that's in that situation right now. The Miami Dolphins and Stephen Ross are going to be involved in this right now. I mean, it's it's wild that there are two open investigations into NFL owners right now. Um, you know, I think a lot of us are probably skeptical about how well those are going to be handled and if the NFL will truly um, you know, and fairly investigate their their own, because typically owners, they don't want to get involved in each other's business. They try to stay hands off as much as possible. Um, they don't want people looking into their closets and figuring out what, what sort of mess they all have in there because they all have stuff, right? Um, so they try to stay out of it. But when things become bigger than the NFL, when Congress is involved, um, and when there's integrity of the game issues, as, a, as there are now with the Miami investigation, that becomes a situation where these owners who are so reluctant to push for change or to get involved in each other's business might might wind up forced to actually have to do something that they've never wanted to do before. Right. I, and, you know, there was also the, the Mike Florio report that said largely that there may be some owners or uh, ownership uh, factions who are starting to get tired of this. And I don't know if anything, I don't want to get anybody's hopes up. I don't know that anything will come of this. But what I would say is, for the first time, we're at least now having the conversation that they might. And that is, I think, significant because before it wasn't even a, it was a joke that the NFL owners would even address this or deal with it. Now it's becoming more embarrassing with the with Congress 
and you know what's going on so i do think that's at least a positive sign if you're in the camp that says he's got to go um which i think that camp gets bigger yeah because uh, by the without without pressure from other owners to sell and isn't as, as embarrassing as the Washington franchise has been for a number of years from the stadium issues, um, how empty their stadium has been, um, the losing and losing a lot of games for a long time, um, the, all the stuff that was going on with the names. He was still contributing a lot of money to the NFL's uh, checkbook, right? I mean, this franchise had been still making a lot of money and it took business interest to force a name change and it might take you know business interest to um, finally have uh, other owners step in and say you know you're embarrassing the rest of us and now you're going to cost us a lot of money yeah um all right well look there's more to discuss i i've already kept you longer than i'm sure both of us were anticipating but this is what happens both because i like talking well, to people and then you, you you're you're interesting and have good stuff so I was like, my husband a, already came in once my daughter will probably come bursting in any minute so it's probably it's probably time to wrap. well look i mean you know she's got to relax she had a very busy season of uh wagering. Dev- she is devastated that she, her she got her super bowl pick wrong like <laughs> like crushed she's crushed um, oh. she's mentioned it to me multiple times about how disappointed she is that so every year if you hadn't known my daughter does pick weekly pick segments. She picks all the games. She picked the Bengals to win the Super Bowl. I get her a teddy bear from every Super Bowl. They're all the same. They're like a beanie baby style. And we name the bear after the MVP of the game. Or there's a little bit, we have some wiggle room with the rules there. Um, But she predicted that the Bengals were gonna win and that her new super bear was gonna be named Joe Burrow. And she was quite upset that, that that didn't happen even though we have named her new bear baron donald uh oh i like it's it's a good bit tell her to hang in there she can always do a mock draft and uh you know you know win back uh yeah you know her 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 personal uh well well, we named him baron donald because i voted for aaron donald as super bowl mvp he ultimately didn't win cooper cup won but i voted for Aaron Donald. Oh, well, picked. look, uh, I, I, I told I told people here that like I may or may not have had a uh, slight wager that made previously that Aaron Donald would be MVP. And uh, I don't know, man, kind of feel like he got got hosed. But see, this is why this is why well, I it's because it. the process. So the, the MVP voting process became like a big thing this week. So, you know, so we've talked about pro football talk, you know, like Florida is kind of now on a crusade to just... <laughs> sorry. You just, ben just got a cattail to the face. Um, oh, yeah, l- l- I, I, I don't, I don't call the show the Standard Room Only podcast with Lenny because somebody else already did that. But effectively, people are aware that Lenny exists. Well, I hope that gift could we could we could have a gift of my husband coming in and being like, and now your cat smacking you in the face. Um, make this a video version. Um, but yeah, like Mike Florio is making like the MVP voting like a bit, and it is tough, right? Because they start asking for your vote with about five minutes to go. We can submit it like virtually, like they're not coming through with like a paper ballot. So um, I guess for full transparency. So I said, I, I said, well, can I submit multiple like with contingencies? So if the Bengals win, Joe, I want to I want to vote Joe Burrow's MVP. And I said, if this drive right now ends with a Cooper Cup touchdown, then I'll put in a vote for Cooper Cup. And that drive did end up with a Cooper Cup touchdown. And then Aaron Donald, destroyed the game of the final series. And I said, can I ch- change my vote to Aaron Donald? They said, yes. And so I changed my vote to Aaron Donald. And that was as the game ended and I got that vote in. I'm guessing there were, there were 16 media voters there. I don't think 
most of them probably did the same thing that I did to ask to change my vote at the last minute, but it was possible. So it wasn't like a hard and fast, you had to send it in with four minutes to go and you couldn't consider anything else. Um, but that's what I did. Yeah. Baron Donald. Baron, oh look, Baron Donald, I, I like it. No, it, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, if it, if it literally came down to the last play, what are you supposed to, you know, and you voted for Cooper Cup and the Bengals, you know. It, yeah, or, well, like the, previ- the previous Super Bowl, like it, the, it should have gone all completely to the Bucks defense, right? Like the Bucks defense was the MVP of that game, but there was no like singularly great player in that game. There was nobody who had multiple sacks or multiple interceptions or, you know, a Von Miller style of, you know, dominant defensive performance. Um, I actually voted for Rob Gronkowski because um, I thought he had made like the most impactful individual offensive plays up to that point of the game. But ultimately went to Tom Brady because you kind of, def- I guess people default to the quarterback in that case. Um, but if we had had a couple more minutes and if I had thought to, can I change my vote? I would have changed my vote to Devin White for last year's Super Bowl. Um, because of the way he closed out that game, he had an interception late in that game. So if you're looking for impactful plays and statistical benchmarks, those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a challenging process, but um, it is an honor to vote. And I, um, I'm, I'm happy with, I'm happy with my vote at least, uh, even if it didn't, financially make you any money well look you tried uh uh you know (laughs) to be clear there was no collusion here i did not know i didn't tell i I didn't tell anybody yeah i didn't tell anybody uh, except i mean i told my my podcast listeners but i didn't tell like anybody actually about this um awesome all right well Lindsay, you rule uh go check Lindsay out of course over on the athletic for all kinds of league-wide news she dips into certain teams like the cardinals and miami as well she knows all things about the broncos uh go follow her on twitter uh as well Lindsay. you rule thank you so much sounds good we'll see you in indy in a couple weeks oh we will be there all right as promised he's back i i mean i don't even know if i have to give much more of an introduction than back fred katz is here um uh, uh I had to ban Fred and I from talking to each other on this podcast about the Wizards because the last time we did, we apparently destroyed the team. Because I don't think I was ever, I've been as optimistic as I was. I don't even look to see what the date was, but it was when they were 10 and three or somewhere in that range when Fred and I talked last and gushing about all the moves are working out. Tommy Shepard is Jerry West. I don't know what we said, but we said things. Then they kept playing games. Now the team looks different. Now Fred's back. To discuss what the hell is going on here hi how are how, how are you the greatest timed extensions in sports history probably <laughs> i mean like unbelievable not, not just that the records fell apart but like right so i mean sashi brown got an extension he then left he, he didn't even make it through the season with his extension tommy <laughs> tommy shepherd gets an extension before the all-star break he has to trade away the last two big contracts he handed out because it was working out so badly um yeah it's crazy what 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 a world very i know it turns so quick man it turns so quick now the roster is different sashi's gone i mean look ted leonsis's three-headed monster of a front office where he had three guys all at the same level working next to each other I mean, look, when he, when he made the promotions, he only promoted two of them. So that was a sign right there that he wasn't promoting all of them concurrently. Uh, and then Sashi Brown leaves. 
what a what a weird season for the Wizards. You know, like just to go to that for a second, like the the, the three headed thing. So for those who you, who are late to the party, you don't remember or have a life and block this out. Have have a life. Yeah, it's for those who have a life. <laughs> As and Fred will remind me if I got this wrong because I'm in Commanders Congress nonsense all at all times. But basically. They get rid of Ernie Grunfeld. They do a 27-month search, or at least it felt like a 27-month search for a GM. That you know, they, they, they make a fake play for Tim Connolly. They end up landing on the guy who'd been working in the building for 15 years or whatever Tommy Shepard had been there. But recognizing that it, you can't just hot promote the guy who was the assistant to the guy you just fired that everybody wanted to get rid of, they had to come up with some other convoluted thing. So they said, we're going to do this team of teams. And we're going to have the, the, the basketball side, Tommy for what, Shepard. For what it's worth, I don't know if that the reasoning was because they were bringing in. Oh, that's that's fair. Intro. Pure speculation on my part that's absolutely based in logic. Uh, not fact. Uh, I, I think that structure was something that they wanted to do independent of whether it was Tommy Shepard taking over or somebody else. So you think, if, you think if Masai Ujiri or Tim Connolly had been hired, they would have done the same thing? I think that Masai Ujiri wouldn't have taken the job because – that was what they wanted to do. I think that was a thing that they wanted to do independent of who was coming in. And I think people who were coming in were going to have to be um, cognizant that that was a goal for ownership. I, I should be careful because today, uh, Fred and I are talking on Friday and I was telling him, Fred before we started that today is a day that I've been aggregated incorrectly by people out in the world. So I should be careful with my, my use of language here accordingly. Yes, it, this, is, this is just me ranting as a person intrigued by the Wizards. It is not fact. But just like I say that Ted Leonsis is not like making the moves to win a title, he's just making the moves to the, get the eighth seed. It's within the same vein in mind. You're at some point have to look at the deal. Anyway, they came up with this three-layered three or three-headed uh, divisions within the basketball operations the basket, the, 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 the personnel, the operations and the medical and all everybody had equal essentially like power, I guess, or say whatever. And obviously that doesn't really work at some point. Somebody has to be in charge and whatever. But the point is that, uh, yeah, now one of those guys is gone and uh, it's just a wacky, a wacky bit. But OK, structure aside. Things are different here on uh, Wizards Mountain since uh, since all that happened, there's been a bunch of moves. Bradley Beal's hurt. He's still on the team, though. Now we have to wait for that game. Uh, I, I don't even know where to begin. I'll let you start. What, what, what? All the things that have happened since we spoke last. What do you got? You want to talk about Kristaps Porzingis? Sure. Well, look. I, I mean, if we, we if, if we're going to be hopeful, a lot's going to have to start between him and then the the recent first round picks. You know, beyond the fact that Bradley Beal has to stay, it's going to be there. So yeah, Porzingis, did, did you like did you like that? I mean, for me, that deal was more about the guys who you were giving out than the guy who you were bringing in. Yeah, I thought that was a good deal for them. I mean, the Dinwiddie contract looked really bad. Dinwiddie and Beal couldn't figure out how to play together. Uh, from everything that I heard, Dinwiddie, Dinwiddie was not gelling in that locker room at all. Um, I think they just felt the need of we need to make a change on this front. You could see it on the court. I mean, you could see the Dimwitty Beal stuff on the court. Beal's numbers were excellent when Dimwitty wasn't there. Dimwitty's numbers were excellent when Beal wasn't there. And when the two of them were together, they just never figured out how to play with each other. And and Dimwitty was too inefficient of a guard to really be running the offense and handling the ball as much as he did. 
and that was a big contract and three years committed. Even it's partial guarantee in the last year, but like $10 million is not a small partial guarantee. It's, it's pretty rare that someone has a $10 million partial guarantee and then just flat out gets waived to save your team, you know, $8 million or whatever it would end up being. That's, that's pretty much, that's, that's three years. And I think the fact that they got off the Bertans deal, they got off the Dinwiddie deal and they brought in a, a, a high risk contract, no question in Porzingis's, but that's the one with the highest ceiling out of any of those three guys. And somehow they were the ones who got the pick. I, I was shocked that they were the ones who got the pick. I, I was under the impression that if you want to get off the Bertons contract, like that is going to cost you a pick. You're well, that- not getting a pick in a Bertons deal. So I was, I was really surprised by that. Uh, by the you way, know, that's I, like on top of like the Westbrook trade. They didn't just get a bunch of stuff. They 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 they're the ones that got the pick too. When I think we all were kind of going with the assumption to trade that contract, similar to what the Lakers were about to have to do if they if they wanted to trade him now um, to get the pick. So yeah, to get off of Westbrook and Bertans without having to get picks and getting stuff back is actually a win just on that on that front. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, I I I liked it, but but in in more of a way of like, okay, you. You, you saved yourself again. You know what I mean? Like 100%. there, there are, there is a world where Porzingis gets, gets a little healthier. He comes back, he can play and he hits 35 to 38% of his threes and takes a bunch of them and plays decent defense. I mean, I still think there is a world where Porzingis is going to be able to help you defensively. I really do. He was a disaster defensively last year. He's been better this year when he's been able to play. He hasn't been shooting well from three, but he's been better this year when he's been able to play. And just his pure size, if you can just play him in a way to where he is just like going to impede the rim, it can make a difference for you, even with the injuries building up. And even in the moments where like he's not going 100% on that side of the ball. So there's a, there's a high there's there's a there's a high ceiling on that if you're able to bring him in. Uh, I mean, at, which, at the um, end of the day, he's got to stay healthy. He's got to play. Of all the players that were involved, they got the best player. Now, whether he can stay healthy is to, is is obviously a huge part of the, the the debate. And clearly, Dallas decided, you know, they just wanted to move him on. Whether that's because of Luka Doncic just you know maximize him, or they 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 immediately gave money to a Dorian Finney-Smith right after the trade, so they had other agendas, and that's up to them. And they were willing to take on two smaller contracts rather than deal with the big one. From the Wizards' perspective, yeah, I mean, if Beal and Porzingis are healthy and available, you know, not saying that's beating Embiid and Hardner, Durant and Kyrie or whatever, but at the same point, it's not nothing. And you know, but the big question again is, you know, what can Porzingis do? Um, d- uh, can I ask you a question? Yeah. You think this is the first time in NBA history that two Latvian players have been traded for each other? Wow, it's got to be right. It's got to be. It's a good point. I had not. Uh, this is why we bring you on to these things. I, I had not uh, considered that. Do you think um, did, did I, it's a good question? We should have Porzingis during the COVID. Were you able to work out? Bring on, uh, bring while, on while... Latvian correspondent Andreas Pasichniks. Wow. Oh, Standing look. room Latvian correspondent. Come on. You know, the, the, the Wizards have a uh, an, an Israeli situation, a Japanese situation. You got to go Latvia, right? I mean, why, why would you not? Why would you not? Yeah, I mean, they had two Latvian teammates together. Now they bring in Porzingis. I think they've had every Latvian in the NBA over the last three years. Yeah, but by the way, I do so, I do think it's a good question to ask Porzingis during the COVID uh, part of the like the main COVID part, were you able to work out in Latvia? Because apparently that, that was a problem for some people, I heard. <laughs> I don't know. Apparently that was an issue. Um, 
All right, so all right, so we'll, we'll stay on the, the sort of the, the, the this end of the deal. So okay, so you get Porzingis, who obviously, like we said, he's a twenty and eight guy, or whatever he is, whatever his exact numbers are. When he's healthy, good player, you know, uh, intriguing with the size and all that. And we won't obviously see what he and Beal do together until next year, assuming that Beal stays. Um, then the question is, what else do they had? What else do they have here? Free agency in the draft is a whole other story. You have up front right now. You have Porzingis. You have Rui Hachimura, who uh, we'll talk about in a sec. You were, Fred was literally just studying Rui uh, tape right before we started talking. You've got Daniel Gafford, who they gave an extension to that hasn't even kicked in yet, I don't think, until I think until next year. Uh, you've got, if you, year. what's that? The following year. The following year. Okay. Uh, you've got, um, you know, uh, D- Danny, Danny Avdia uh, as well. So the question is, like how do and, oh and Kyle Kuzma sorry of course Kyle Kuzma who's obviously been you know sort of the the, the huge at the huge part of that that Westbrook trade ultimately for them do these pieces fit because it's one thing to say like okay they made a they saved themselves they did a good job with this trade all things considered but now you actually have to play basketball moving forward and everybody I just said is in, essentially going to be here next year so how do you think that part works they don't they don't really fit perfectly no I mean Kuzma, Avdia. I mean, there's no obvious three, right? I mean, unless, I mean, Kuzma's not a three. Kuzma can play the three, but ideally he's really kind of a four. Right. Um, you know, it's, it. all those positions are meshed together so much now. I mean, I'm a big believer that KCP is, is just a good fit on 30 teams. Sure. You just take a guy like that, shoots threes, plays hard on defense. I mean, he, he's streaky but he's, he's a good fit anywhere. He's just a good player. Uh, so I, I think a guy like that fits in no matter where your roster is. To me, it's more, you know, Thomas Bryant's a free agent. What's going to happen with him? I'm curious to see how the presence of Porzingis could potentially affect Thomas Bryant because you might be able to play Porzingis at the five and he can be the guy who can, who can step out there and be your stretch five and, and what does that mean for Bryant coming back? Would he want to come back as a backup? Or do they feel like they have to play Porzingis at the four more minutes because that might help with his injuries, playing him in a less physical position throughout the regular season? If so, does that mean they want to bring Bryant back as a starter? Do they feel like they want more? You know, they obviously extended Gafford, like you said, and Gafford's extension doesn't kick in until 2023-24. So, you know, how does that affect Thomas Bryant? I'm, I'm really curious to see how the Thomas Bryant uh, free agency ends up ends up panning out because I know they like Bryant, uh, but I don't think they like him so much that they would be averse to letting him walk if somebody else made him a decent offer. Uh, so so I'm I am re- I think that's going to be really interesting. Uh, the other thing that's going to be really interesting is before the start of next season is Rui Hachimura's extension eligible, and it's a thing that I talked about so much on the beat that this year was really important to figuring out what kind of player Rui was going to be. And, and I think if if Rui ends up playing himself into a, a bigger role than he's had so far in the month and a half or so that he's been back, that is going to be a really interesting extension negotiation, uh, if only because the organization that he's with. You know, as soon as the Wizards drafted Rui Hachimura, what was the first move they made? It wasn't a basketball move. It was starting a vertical for Japanese fans to be able to access through the team, right? They. Yep hired people. Rui is a, 
initiated a miniature economy within the organization, right? 100%. There is the Rui-related economy inside the Washington Wizards with all the outreach programs they have to to the Japanese fans and 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 the people whose jobs were literally created because of Rui's presence. And uh, I am I'm curious to see how that extension negotiation goes because right now he's 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 a reserve and he's shooting the ball really well from three. And he's had some nice moments. He's really good in the close of the Brooklyn game on Thursday night. Uh, and, and there are times where he's looking a lot better, but if I'm his agent, when I walk into Tommy Shepard's and Ted Leonsis's office, you know, if I'm Wasserman who represents him, I, I'm, I'm saying, yeah, you drafted Rui in the top 10 and you and I both think he's going to be really good. And you've said it time and time again, but also from a, Financial standpoint, look at all the money he's bringing into the organization. He deserves to get back some of that too. So that is going to be a very interesting extension negotiation to me as well. And I, I, I wonder how that will go. And I wonder what the Wizards are willing to commit because they've talked about Rui so much as being a part of their future. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't really asked around what is what his market might be or what he might be asking for. But I mean, obviously a lot, it's, it's almost hard to gauge, right? He's only played a, hand, a relatively small amount of games because he missed so much time this season dealing with personal stuff. And now no matter what happens the rest of this way, he's not playing with the, like it's it. the, the wizards are going to have a roster where you have to evaluate something, but it's not going to be a, a completely full thing to gauge because Bradley Beal's not there and Porzingis hasn't even played yet. So like everything we're watching is like, a version of the team that doesn't actually exist, you know? So how do you know how Rui fits in and all that? By the way, I don't know if we talked about this. Did you see who the mystic signed the other day? Another Rui. Yeah. Rui Makita to point guard. So there you go. Of course. Um, I, all the Latvians and all the Ruiz. Yeah. That's just, just the way it, uh, it's just the way it works out. Um, and all the unselled. <laughs> All the uncells. So, yeah. So, okay. So you're right. I think that's a big deal. Look, and again, on the positive front, Kyle Kuzma has been very good for the, for the, for this team. I don't know if Kyle Kuzma is one of the best two or three players on a contender, um, but he's been, he's, he's scored. He's been aggressive. He's gotten boards. He's making clutch shots. You know, if the deal was ultimately Westbrook for Kyle Kuzma based on forget everything else, just based on how it's going, the wizards are still winning that trade. Um, But that said, how does it all fit in? If you're going to give Rui, like you're saying, some sort of a deal, you have Porzingis, who's going to be here for at least a couple more years. I mean, in theory, uh, you know, how how do you maximize all these pieces? And none of these guys are really a three. So if the best lineup is to get these guys out there on the court together, you know, how does that fit? You don't have to do that, of course, but there's 48 minutes at the three spot. So somebody's going to have to be playing some of those minutes. And that's going to be part of the next step for these guys and to that point on Rui okay so you know since Tommy Shepard took over he drafted Rui Hachimura Denny Avdia and Corey Kispert and I think they all look interesting to varying degrees I also wouldn't say that right now we're going wow they definitely found you know a longtime starter or a guy who's going to be really good it's still somewhat jury out as to what level they're all at and I think that's also part of this whole deal that hopefully for them, they figure out something more over these last 30 games or whatever, however many games they have left, because that's kind of a big deal. Like what actually are you getting out of your first round picks? They just traded away again, Bertans and Dinwiddie, the two big, um, mo- big money uh, 
moves they made in the last couple of years, the draft picks are the other part of the equation for them um, that they're going to have to figure out what, what they've got here. Yeah. I think Kispert's look good. I think he's looked good lately. He's shooting like 36% from three. He, really he just plays with such con- he plays with so much confidence. I mean, it was the same thing with like watching like a guy like Garrison Matthews. I'm not comparing the two, the two, the two uh, the white guy wing shooters, but like they both just play with a lot of confidence and you can see that like a guy like, like that one is of, exactly what you're doing. I know. But like I, Otto Porter, <laughs> a guy who who I liked, part of the reason why I think people did not respond to him automatically is he doesn't play with confidence. He doesn't overtly have confidence where it's like, say, Kelly Oubre did. But in these cases, these guys come in and, and Kispert off the bat has looked good. Now, again, it's one thing to play 15 minutes here or there make some open shots and nobody's covering you. It's another thing you, when you're starting to play 25 minutes a game and they, the other team is your name's on the whiteboard in their locker room saying, go guard that guy. But yeah, I think he's looked pretty decent so far. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's hitting his corner threes. They'll run them around screens. He's active. I think he's a pretty good cutter. I think the 32% from three right now is deceptive. I don't think that's the shooter he is. He's like shooting in the mid forties. I want to say on corner threes, I looked at it earlier. I think he's like 44%, something like that on corner threes. And if you go back to the, he got up to an awful start shooting the ball at the beginning of the year. If you go back since the start of December, which is two and a half months, which is a totally legitimate sample size, he's at 36% overall from three. And and, and I think he's, he might be a better shooter than that. So I, I, I think if he, if he hits his threes, he stays active. He can run around screens. He can, he can hit them from everywhere. Uh, I, I think that that'll, that'll work out nicely for them, but he's, he's not someone who's going to bust out to beyond this mold of player in all likelihood. You know what I mean? Like this is, he might get better at this role. He might make a higher percentage of his threes. He might become an even more proficient cutter. He might recognize, okay, my guy has fallen asleep. Now I can dart to the basket, that kind of stuff. He'll probably get better at it and maybe he'll get stronger. Maybe he'll get a little bit more, more, you know, he'll learn how to work or learn the speed of the game, all the stuff that happens with rookies. But this is the role that Corey Kispert is going to play. He's, he's not going to jump beyond this. He could just get great at this role, which I think is plausible, but this is the role. Like, I don't think any of their young guys, they have someone who is going to really bust out of the role that they play right now. And uh, except for maybe, you know, except for maybe Rui, who who I don't think necessarily has to be an 18 minute, a game off the bench guy. Right. And ultimately that's the thing, right? If they're going to keep playing this game of, we will never tank, you know, and then don't put yourself in the position. Yes. Just because you have the number one, two, three, four pick does not guarantee you're going to find the next Kevin Durant or whatever, but your best chances of that are when you do that. So if you're not going to do that, you have to have that 14th, 15th, ninth pick, whatever, turn into a, a, one of these guys. And they have not hit on that um, quite yet. The best success they've had in the last, you know, 10 plus years in draft picks, the guy that was the first pick, the guy that was the third pick. So that's how this has worked, which is seems like an obvious point when, <laughs> when they say we will never tank. Uh, okay. I don't know, but uh, wait, can I, can I take the reins for a second? Oh, I mean, look, I think people would much prefer you take the reins and me just like stand in the corner and take open threes. Go ahead. Um, (laughs) I would love to see you stand in the corner and take open threes. Dude, I could shoot. I I can't do anything anymore because I don't get off the couch, but I could shoot. Go ahead. (laughs) Wait, do you do do we think that Rui's shooting? I mean, he's shooting 46 percent on a very low volume of threes. Do we think there is anything real to that? Because if there is, that's obviously a very important and very 
big development. Sure. I mean, look, if you just said to me, you know, 38%, I'd be like, oh, that's pretty good. You know, 40%, great. 46 is obviously ridiculous, but um, he, he looked more comfortable. I've been, you know, I think he's looked more confident, uh, you know, l- lately. But again, I guess, how do, how do I say this? Like, any the, anyone who's ever played basketball, for the most part, understands how this works. When you get the ball with some consistency in a position to shoot, your level of confidence goes up versus when you're the guy sort of stuck and you don't quite ever know when you're going to get the ball. It's a different mentality. So right now he's getting some opportunities because again, a lot of guys are out. So I don't know if you know what to make completely of everything we're going to be watching now going forward, but it's been 18 games or whatever it's been for him. He's making a high percentage. It's a good thing. I'm not going to knock it. Yeah. I don't know what to make of it. I I mean, look, he's 18 for 39. It's a really small sample. He could, he could go two for his next 14 and all of a sudden he's way down. Right. I mean, when I was at, uh, and I've told people like I've, I've basically not been to any games this year because I've been dealing with the crazy football team, but I did go to the Miami game right before they made all the trades. And I was talking to somebody who, who's who was there, who had been around the team a bunch the last few years. And I was like, well, you know, what's your view on Rui? And he was kind of like, you know, we'll see. I mean, it wasn't like a definitive in any, in any direction or one way or the other. And that, that's sort of how I kind of view it. I mean, it's the ninth pick. I'm still like, hey, is this guy a legit 35-minute-a-game starter? I'm not there yet. So everything else is if – he's, if he's a role player, that's not bad. But at the moment, kind of need him to still be more in theory for what – unless you're telling me Kuzma Porzingis and then he's this guy off the bench. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm going to talk out my conflicts. Go for so it. So he, he shot the ball well at the end of last year from three. And so this is kind of carried over into this season. So that's a positive. If you look at his shooting form, it's it's different now. It's totally different. He was he was kind of holding his his release was farther out before. Uh, release a little bit closer to the forehead now. He's shooting up. There is no question. The number one thing that they worked on with him from the second they drafted him was that his jump shot was a line drive. It was it did not elevate much higher than the rim at any point during its arc. If you could even call it an arc when he first got into the league and now he has an actual arc on his jump shot. It is there. It is noticeable. It's the number one thing they wanted to change. It makes for a softer shot, makes for a more accurate shot. It makes it so you get friendlier bounces. He's doing it consistently and the form looks pretty consistently there and good. That's unquestionably a positive and would explain a jump in percentage, but he's still not taking a ton of them. The other thing is he's shooting like 26% on mid range right now. So one way that you can check to see if shooting is short, like in the short term, if, if shooting is, is really all the way there is you can just see the overall percentage on just like shots outside the paint. And so if you look like just like you combine mid range and three point shots, and if you combine his mid range and his three point shots, he's like 30, basically what he's shooting on jump shots. He's like 37% on mid range and three point shots, which is pretty much in line with just where he's been for his whole career. So it's like, okay, is he due for a regression from three and a progression from mid range? And then he's just going to kind of end up with a similar percentage. Uh, That's, that's something that I think has to be on the table. The sample is still too small to know for sure. And then on the other side, it's like, look, the most important thing for Rui as a three point shooter is not necessarily making an extremely high percentage. It's being a good enough and competent enough three point shooter and burning enough guys around the league enough times that he's a floor spacer because people consider spacing and shooting to be the same thing when in reality they're related things, but they're not 
actually the same things. There are guys who shoot 36% from three who everyone in the league believes can't shoot, so they don't guard him. Rajon Rondo has shot the ball well percentage-wise from three for like five years, and people still don't guard him on the three-point line. They just don't believe he can shoot. And then there are other guys who shoot 32%, but the shot looks good, and they've burned enough guys around the league so people guard them. So the goal for Rui has to be shooting well enough and making enough noise to where people around the league say, that's a guy that I'm not supposed to leave so that he can actually space out the floor. And if he has enough stretches where he's actually shooting them, people will eventually start to guard him. And that will be very important for the Wizards offense and very important for the Wizards spacing. Uh, And he's not there yet, but I don't know. I think overall it's encouraging, but I I don't know where he's going to end up as a three-point shooter. That's my meandering. I don't know. I have a lot of Wizards thoughts, Ben. I, I, I don't get a chance to get these off of my, this is why, look, this is why you're here. Look, I mean, one of the questions that somebody wanted me to ask you was, um, but, uh, some version of like, what's the more frustrating team to deal with the wizards or the Knicks in terms of like, they're, they're like two teams are kind of like in the same boat this year. Like they're literally next to each other in the standings. Um, you know, the, like the, you know, below expectations, certainly for the Knicks and the wizards based on where they were. So I, I want you to get your wizards takes out because, you know, you, you already are dealing with enough frustration. You know, you can, you can vent over here without it being, you know, your work, uh, you know, your, 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 your work life, so to speak, this is a release for you. So. Yeah. I would say the biggest difference is that Knicks fans are angry and wizards fans are just like defeated. Numb. Yeah. They're numb. <laughs> they can't, they can't feel the pain anymore. You could just like chop off a wizards fans foot and you'd be like, Oh, looks like you chopped off my foot. And that would be it. And you could chop a wizard, a, a Knicks fan's foot off and be like, fuck you, give me my fucking foot back. And that's really the difference. That's really the difference. Yeah. Um, Was I not supposed to say that? Are you? Am I giving you extra homework for bleeping now? I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not editing anything out. Um, once in a while, somebody gets mad, but um, yeah, uh, I forgot what I was going to look up. But yeah, so oh, what I was going to say is this. So basically, if you look at the Wizards history, right, in terms of the draft picks, I always view it like it starts when they drafted John Wall. This is the era we're in. They drafted John Wall, and then we move forward. They draft John Wall, give him an extension eventually. They give Bradley Beal an extension. They give Otto Porter an extension, but then they quickly, well, not extension, but, you know, whatever, he more or less. And then they get rid of, they get rid of him. But, like, the question is, uh, at some point, when do you sort of build on what you have? And that's why these draft picks – are important because it isn't just do you draft the guy and you know what you're hoping what's the foundation and the thing with a guy like Rui I think is going to be if he's going to get another deal as you were discussing it's going to have to be viewed as like we think this is a guy who's going to be really an important part of our piece here but how much money are you going to spend if not only if you have Kuzma and Porzingis perhaps in front of him but also what is he and if like like if he ultimately turns into a guy who's not a 35 minute game player, then he's probably, I would guess the next part of his career is going to be somewhere else. Putting aside the economy aspect, as you discussed, just because that's sort of how these things work. If you don't, you're extending a guy you want to be part of your group, but where does he fit in in the hierarchy of that? Maybe you also don't have to extend him. I mean, you could talk to him. You could be far apart on numbers and you can just go into a free, he, he's going to be a restricted free agent. You can go into restricted free agency with the ability to match on any sort of deal to bring him back. I mean, that's, that's another option or 
try to see what his value is around the league and see if, if you can find a good trade for him. I mean, the thing with Tommy Shepard, which is interesting is, is he's given out regrettable money as a GM, right? The Bertans deal, the Dimwitty deal, which obviously even he admits was regrettable money because he dumped it at the deadline. Um, he's also made a series of, of really good trades that have aged very well. Absolutely. I mean, if you look back on it from the very beginning, getting Bertans for essentially nothing for the rights to Aaron White, who's not coming to the NBA, uh, the Westbrook trade, um, even just like, you know, the little nibbles, the way he jumps into three team deals, just like, yeah, we'll take Bonga and Wagner and Jamario Jones in a, and a second round pick and give you the smallest amount of cash that you're allowed to trade in a, in a trade in the NBA like that. That's, you know, yeah. Wagner didn't pan out. Bonga didn't pan out, but they got a free second round pick out of it and they gave up nothing, you know, stuff like that. He's, he's made good deals. I think the Porzingis deal is going to end up a, a good deal. Uh, you know, even if Bertans goes to Dallas, and I think he could end up being a great fit with Luca. I think there's, there's like change of scenery potential there. And basketball wise, I think offensively, Bertans and Luca just like Luca is as good as any other player in the league at creating corner threes. And even Bertans, the player that he is now, still knock down corner three when he gets open looks. Uh, and even if they just say we're not going to you're not going to play like you did in Washington, you're going to play like you did in San Antonio, and you're going to stand in the corner and you're going to get two to three corner threes a game, and you're going to knock down fifty five percent of them, which is legitimately what he was doing before he completely fell off. You know he's going to look so much better. Uh, so so even so, I don't think that necessarily makes the Wizards regret that trade because they couldn't replicate that environment. You can't replicate having Luka Doncic be able to create incredible corner threes for an incredible corner three shooter. So I, uh, I just, I think he's made a series of good trades. So if you want Tommy Shepard to say, okay, we're going to canvas the league and see what you can get for someone like Avdia or Hachimura, because there's some duplication in those roles or even with Kuzma, because yeah, Kuzma right now is the best player of those three. No question but he's also on a team friendly deal. He's got another year left and you might, he might be the guy who can bring in the most back too. You might get a really good offer for him for all, you know, and there, there are other teams out there who, who would like and could use someone like Kuzma, who is a, is a solid defender and shoots threes and uh, not afraid to take a big shot. Lord knows. And so, uh, you know, I just, I, I could see the wizards having a lot of faith in their ability to make a good trade that would help the team because they kind of have the resume right now of a team that has made good, solid trades. Um, you know, I mean, look, I, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of the Tommy Shepard has been done very good on the trades. Um, you know, again, even if we, like you said, quibble over that, you know, let's not forget he's trading away bad contracts. He, he wanted, he signed people too, but he's done a good job. Look, even the fact that, he moved quickly. He didn't say as, as they have done in the past, well, we have to give it time. Like I had him on the radio back at the end of December and discussed some of this, some of the Dinwiddie part of it. Cause you could start to see some, some questions. And he's like, yeah, it's only been a certain amount of games, you know, 40, whatever it was, 30 games, 40 games. Look, let's give it time. The, the, the willingness to move on and not let your own pride stay in the way is, is, is positive. I would say. 
Um, I, I agree. Look, I cover the Knicks, and and the Knicks gave out two years to Nerlens Noel. They gave out three guaranteed years to Evan Fournier, and they were they regret those deals. They were they made those guys available at the trade deadline, but they couldn't get anything they want, so they held on to it. And I'm not necessarily knocking them for holding on to those guys past the trade deadline because I can't sit here and tell you here is the specific construction of the Fournier deal that they turned down. I don't even know if they turned down a Fournier deal because I don't think anybody was really clamoring for those contracts because they're, they're bigger. They're, those contracts are more than what those guys markets would dictate if they became free agents today. But if, if the Knicks could trade Fournier if they had the ability to trade Fournier for, for something else that could help them in a different way or just get off that contract. I, I, I think that's something they would have liked to have done. Uh, so the ability to be able to do that and bring in somebody who could potentially be a difference maker and, and help all while you're trying to keep Bradley Beal, who's going to become a free agent. I can't believe we haven't just talked about, Bradley uh, well, we're, yeah, there, we'll, we'll uh, get to him. Yeah. Oh, while you're trying to keep Beal, like I agree. That's a good thing. But at some point also, like, you do need stability at some point. Well, what's you the do. plan at some point? Like, that's my thing. Like, the NBA There's is weird. so many rotating it, chairs. Right, right. That's my thing. Like, it's it, obviously, we all get how the NBA works. If you don't have LeBron, Durant, and be that level of player, you're kind of you're just kind of hoping until you figure out how to get that guy. I get that. And, like, Daryl Morey, when he was in Houston, made this trade, that trade, this trade, that trade, eventually got James Harden out of all of it. And then they had some more success. I get that. But yeah, but to what end? And and this sort of does lead into the Beal part of this, right? Because I mean, Ben, think about just to outline this. I know I'm, I keep interrupting you. No, I don't even, I don't even. Look, I, look this is not, you're, you're not the usual <laughs> guest. This is like, you know, this is like family. Go ahead, interrupt. I don't. I don't even care. I'm just gonna interrupt you yeah, every word that you say. I pick, by the way, I picture like our friend, like Greg Rosenstein, just like well, every time you do that, doesn't us laughing. He'll we'll get a Slack <laughs> message about this, saying, "Hey, I like the interruptions." Go ahead. All right, keep going. Yeah. Um, just think about the, all the iterations of this team since the 49 win season in 1617. There was the 17, and and especially after, like the Wizards' mo when they were consistently a playoff team you know the wall the wall playoff teams was that they were the, they brought back the same group every year it was always gortat and wall and bertons there was not Bert, and not bertons Bertons, beal yeah bertons i've lost my mind and, and they you know nene like they they had these consistent staples with the wall beal backcourt and everybody else and it was and all of a sudden trevor reza six different season, times yeah, since that 16, 17 team, it was like the 17, 18 team was just kind of like the signal of the downfall of this of the 16, 17 team. Wall gets hurt. He has the knee injury, misses half the season. They lose as an eighth seed. 18, 19, they come back out and they like that's 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 the year where the roster is revamped, right? Like no Gortat. They bring in Austin Rivers. Uh, Markeith Morris is still there, uh, but they end up trading him mid-season. They trade Otto Porter mid-season. Uh, you know, they're they're starting to tear down. They trade Kelly Oubre for Trevor Ariza. That's the Jeff Green year. Uh, they they bring in Austin Rivers and they trade him. And it's like this weird team where they, that 
that was supposed to compete that Ted Leonsis had said at the beginning of the year, a goal was to win 50 games and they end up losing 50 games and going 32 and 50 that year. And wall ends up tearing, tearing the Achilles midway through that season as well. And then you go to the 1920 team, which was like they enter training camp, knowing that John wall in all likelihood is not going to play at all that season. You're going to, just put around all these role players around Bradley Beal and you're going to work on young guys and you're going to play Troy Brown and you're going to trade play Bonga and you're going to trade play play Wagner and and Thomas Bryant and 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 all of these young guys that you're trying to put around him and it's a it's a year of development as the front office constantly said and then you're going to try to compete the next year with John Wall and then going into the next year that you're trying to compete Pete with John Wall, you flip John Wall for Russell Westbrook, and then it's the Westbrook and Beal year. And then you flip Westbrook for all those pieces, and then it's the 10 and 3 start with all those guys. Then you get to the deadline, and now it's like Beal's out, and Porzingis might be in, and Harrell's gone, and it's just Ish Smith is back for a third time. And well, this is why, you know, this is why, like, so as, cli- as cliche as it is to say to, to compare everything to rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. It is that kind of a deal because if you're unwilling to either make an all-in move, I mean they have made they have made some good moves, but all the moves have been sort of how do we turn you know three nickels into a quarter, which is not a bad thing. Like they they take the stuff and do some things, but it's all incremental moves to a degree. And then you get the Westbrook deal, but like that was great to unload Westbrook without giving up picks. You got some fun stuff back, but it doesn't take them up to another level, admittedly thought beginning of even at the beginning of the year the optimism i wasn't putting them in the buck sixers nets level it was just they were more fun more interesting than we anticipated and now the same thing and so when you're unwilling this goes to the beal part of this you know if you're going to keep saying basically the edict is you have to make the playoffs then it it limits what your options are I, i like you know you know our our colleague david aldridge has been preaching for some time that they should have moved on from Beal. I was saying no, not that I wouldn't be willing to, but like I just kept thinking if you had a bunch of kids that come in and the adult in the room, so to speak, is John Wall or Westbrook, I don't know if that's exactly where I want to go with this. The Houston Rockets seem to maybe agree with me and <laughs> on some level, keeping Wall away for just whatever the reasons. Uh, but this offseason, once they made the Westbrook deal, the first my first thought was, this is the moment to trade Beal. Except where you are, that Bradley Beal is a very good player. He's an all-star, all-NBA level player, but he's not going to be the best player on a title team. And if you're not going to go into the luxury tax or do the other things that you potentially can do to be a contender, then you need to go the other way and get off this train of just rearranging things over and over again. But they obviously are doing what they're doing. And now here's Porzingis. And by the way, here's the thing about Beal that I think is important to discuss. What what year did you get here? Eight twenty eighteen. Yeah, eighteen. So the whole time you've been, you were here. The Bradley Beal trade has been sort of in the air in some capacity. And oh, what's, it's it's all over the air. It's like over. walking into a hookah bar of Bradley Beal trade rumors. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right, right. Hookah bar. Um, so I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad that took four seconds for you to process. Well, it's appropriate. A hookah bar joke would take a minute to, to absorb, right? <laughs> so, so um, the um, so the, the, my point is like all the time that we were doing this, part of the reason why it was an interesting discussion, not only because of what direction are they going to go in, but Bradley Beal has real value in there. He's a he's still an ascending player. 
He's you know still young, and you you're you're moving him before the next contract. Okay, we're now past that. If he comes back to this team next year, he will be as right the highest paid player in the league. Guess what? At now he's now overpaid, and at that point his value is a lot lot different. Like I mean, you know, like you can trade the best, the highest paid player in the league and get stuff if that's Kevin Durant. You're not doing that for Bradley Beal. And so unless at this point, if he stays, and even if we want to play the game of he gets he gets his bag and then in a year says, I want to get traded, let's just say that's the case. I'm not saying that is. They're not going to get nearly as much as they would have before, I don't think. You can tell me I'm wrong. And this is why, like, I, I feel like this is how they keep doing business and why they don't seem to be progressing unless a guy like Rui turns into a, a star player. Because you have to, it's asset allocation. What do I have here? Where's my realistic, where's my reality with my, what the, this team is, what my goals are? What are we doing? Bradley Beal's a really good player. The difference is once he gets that money, his value is not nearly as interesting as it was before this. That's how I would view it. You tell me. I'll ask you a question. Oh boy. How nervous should we be? And how nervous really should the Wizards be about Bradley Beal shooting 30% from three this year? Very weird trend that like four years ago, he just became a 35% three-point shooter every year. And then this year he's 30. I don't know if it has to do with maybe the wrists that he had surgery. I mean, it wasn't a shooting wrist, right? It was his left. But, you know, maybe the wrist was bothering him for a lot of the season and Obviously, if your wrist is bothering you enough to where you need surgery on it and you're playing through that, then there are, you know, obviously that can have a massive effect on your shooting, whether it's your shooting wrist or not. So maybe it's as simple as that, but that's like a concerningly known low number. It's, and he just didn't look like the 30 point a game scorer this year. And not just because he was averaging 23, wasn't getting to the rim as well. Foul rate. Free throw rate, I should say, way down. Just attempt to get into the line a lot less. So it's it's not like all the other numbers across the board were fine and it was just a dip in three-point shooting. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's, there's a difference between paying a guy a 35% max. Right now, the Wizards could offer him about $241 million over five years. That's what it would project to be with next year's cap. $240 million, give or take, over five years. There's a difference between paying a guy that money to be your last guy in the door than to be your first guy in the door. Championship caliber teams always overpay for the last piece. Let's just say the Ben Simmons trade hadn't gone through for James Harden and you're Philly and it's the day before the deadline and you say, you know what, maybe there's a Bradley Beal trade out there and the two sides come together and you can trade Simmons for Beal. That makes sense if you're Philly, if you want to give him that contract this summer. You go on a run, maybe you make the Eastern Conference Finals. He and Embiid work great together. Right. Uh, maybe you make the final. Maybe, maybe that team makes the finals. I might, look at how good Philly is right now. Now just give them Bradley Beal for, without taking anything away. That team could win the East. You know, you make the finals, and then you say, you know what? This is the last piece. We are a championship-caliber team. We're going to pay to be, stay as a championship-caliber team. That makes sense. Uh, if he's your first guy in the door, then it's a different sort of conversation. So I'm with you. Uh, you know, now it's like, you know, we've seen that while Bradley Beal is, you know, I've, I've voted for him for all NBA and he made all NBA last year. I mean, I consider him to be an all NBA caliber player, but being an all NBA caliber player 
clearly is not good enough to guarantee you a consistently competitive team because they've been under 500 however many years in a row now. This is going to be their fourth year in a row under 500. So is that is that your is that what you want is your first guy in the door, which which hurts your flexibility. You also have Porzingis there. Um, it's it's tough, but I that offer is going to be there. I'll tell you that much. To me, I mean, I I, I think he'll resign. The Wizards are definitely the favorites to re-sign him. I wouldn't bet my life that, and I said this on on the Athletic NBA show a few weeks ago. I wouldn't bet my life on the fact that he's re-signing. Like it's not it's not total and complete slam dunk. He's totally re-signing to me. I think he's going to re-sign. I think the Wizards are the heavy favorites to re-sign him. But they're playing, even if he secretly gave them a guarantee. Yeah, I'm coming back. They're playing a risky game. They're playing a risky game when he hits unrestricted free agency. Yeah, that's uh, the other part of this. It's not like you say, it's not like, you know, uh, in the NFL, not that a third round compensatory pick is good enough, but at least you get something back if the guy walks out the door. He, he Bradley Beal decides he's signing with pick Miami, whoever. See ya. Good, good luck. You get nothing. For a guy who's been, you know, that you could have traded multiple times and not to mention was your best player. Yeah. And I, I, again, like, I think he's resigning. I really think he's going to resign. I think he, he cares. I've said this a million times. He cares about getting that fifth year. That's important to him. He cares about being able to, uh, you know, be a big part of the organization, a big part of the organization's decision-making. And there is no other organization in the league and no prospective place that could sign him in which he would be able to get the authority that he's able to get with the Wizards in Washington. And that's an important thing to him. And there is the loyalty and the legacy stuff that he talks about all the time. Like he, he wants to go down as the best player in wizards history. He wants to go down as the iconic guy. He, he wants the, uh, you know, he wants the silhouette on the court or the statue outside or, or whatever it is. Like at least, retired a, at, least numbers. Tri- at least a tribute video. Unlike Gortat. <laughs> Apparently <laughs> somebody told me that Ish Smith got one, I think, or so, like, I heard it was something the other day and somebody randomly, like somebody like Ish Smith got one, but like Gortat never did. That's, that stuff drives me crazy. Anyway, sorry. I interrupted you this time. Well, like, yeah, I think just like a retired number is not, that's not it for him. Like he wants the full on legacy. He wants his name to be synonymous with one franchise. Um, and, and because of all those things, because of the relationships that he has in Washington, like I, I think they are the favorites, if not the heavy favorites to bring him back. Uh, I do. It's just, look, I was covering the Thunder in 2016 when they were the favor, the heavy favorites to re-sign him, and everybody thought that Kevin re-sign was, Kevin Durant. You're saying right? Go, yeah, Kevin Durant. I sh- should say his name, shouldn't I? They were the heavy favorites to re-sign Kevin Durant, and everybody thought Durant was going back, and all of a sudden, he's on Golden State, right? And it's just you don't know until it happens, and that was not a case of contract mismanagement by the Thunder. Because that 2015-16 Thunder team was a championship caliber team. And if you have a chance to win a title, go try to win the freaking title. Like, that's what you do. That, that team was up 3-1 on 73-win Golden State in the, Eastern Con- in the Western Conference Finals. And they blew a three-run lead and they lost. That team was good enough to win a title. 
And it would have been wild for them to try to trade Kevin Durant in the middle of that season just to extend their window when, like, you can win a title that year and you can totally justify trying to win a title that year. These are not those circumstances. And these haven't been those circumstances at any point during the lead-up of the Bradley Beal hookah bar experience trade rumors. They were they were never at that level. So, you know, so, uh, let, we'll, let me ask, we'll see how it goes. Let it's me just, ask you. It's just there is there is an inherent risk. Yeah. I don't know what the percentage risk is. It's low, but there so, is a risk. All right. Many thanks to Lindsey Jones and Fred Katz. Part two of my conversation with Fred Katz later this week, along with I'll answer some mailbag questions. And hopefully, as I mentioned, I'll have a, a good guest for you guys uh, that you'll be interested in for sure as well. Um, but that is it for now on the Standard Room Only podcast. Until next time, see ya.